We'll begin from ayah 114. لا خير في كثير من نجواهم There is no good in much of their private conversations. Najwa is from the root letters noon, jim, wow. And najwatun is a place that is high. Okay? A high place compared to the rest of the area that is around it. Now, such a place stands out. It sticks out. Doesn't it? Like for example, if you have a room that is flat, I mean the floor is straight, plain. And in the front you have a stage. Okay? The surface is raised up. As soon as you walk into the room, isn't that stage going to stick out? Isn't it going to draw your attention? Isn't it going to draw your attention? It will. Okay. So from this root is the word najwa, which is a private conversation. When two or more people whisper to one another, they have a secret conversation, a private conversation that they don't tell other people about. Generally, when we whisper to someone, what do we think? Nobody can see us. Nobody knows what we're talking about. But you know what? As soon as we start whispering, we start becoming more noticeable. We become more noticeable. Just as a raised ground becomes more noticeable, likewise, someone who is whispering is also more noticeable compared to the rest of the people. Think about it. You're sitting in a group of friends and one person is whispering to the other. Isn't your mind going to go there? Immediately, you're going to forget about what you were eating. You're going to forget about what everybody was talking about. Your only concern is what are they whispering to one another? Isn't it? What's going to be on your mind is I want to know what they're talking about. You're going to try to guess it. You're going to try to listen. You're going to try to eavesdrop, whatever. You're going to try to figure it out. Okay? Likewise, when someone is on a raised place, then it's as though they have been chosen, it's as though they have been elevated, it's as though they have been given special attention. Now if somebody comes to you and says, can you come here, I need to talk to you. Hmm? Can you come here, I need to talk to you. And they whisper something into your ear. How do you feel? I'm so special. Right? She didn't tell everybody else, she told me. I'm so special. Right? So this is what happens. When someone is whispered to, when you have a private conversation with someone, it's as though they have been Chosen compared to the rest of the people. Now what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about najwa? He says, لَا خَيْرَ فِي كَثِيرٍ مِّن najwa. The majority of private conversations that people hold, there is no good in them. Is that true? Is that true? Yes? Do you agree with it? 100%. Because when people whisper to one another, what are they really talking about? Generally, what are they talking about? Somebody else, right? Or something that should not be publicized. Who needs to whisper? The one who is guilty. The one who doesn't want that everybody should find out that I'm talking about this. That I am saying like this about another individual. So someone who is guilty in his heart, he wants to hide his actions. He wants to hide his words. He wants to hide his conversations. So this is why he whispers. Because he knows that if other people will find out, they won't be happy with him. Because the one who is right, the one who is truthful, the one who is well-meaning, does he need to hide anything from people? He doesn't need to. So majority of the time, there is no good in private conversations, in the things that people whisper to one another. Now, najwa primarily is, you know, like people having a small circle, or one person whispering something into the ear of the other individual. What are the different ways in which private conversations are held today? Hmm? Something that's just between you and another person or maybe two people and not more than that. Hmm? Email, for example. Text messages. What else? I don't have Facebook, so I don't know how that works. Yeah, I don't. Can you imagine? I don't. So, on Facebook, is there any possibility of having a private conversation with someone? Okay, so private chats. Now, majority of the time, what is it that people talk about over text messages, over their emails? Yes, many times it is something good. Okay, but when is it that you put passwords and everything and you don't show anybody what you're typing, what you're texting, right? When do you do that? When do you hide from people and do it? 
when you know that it's not good. When you know that other people are not going to like it. So Allah says, لَا خَيْرَ فِي كَثِيرٍ مِّن نَجْوَاهُمْ Remember, this verse was revealed concerning the story of that man, Tu'ma. You remember that incident? Right? So his family, his tribesmen, what they did was that in the night, they all sat together and they privately conversed with each other, planning out how they were going to you know, portray the case of Torma before the Prophet ﷺ. It was a whole setup that they had planned. Okay? So in their najwa, what were they talking about? Something good? Not at all. But in this is a very important lesson for us. Let's stop having these najwa all the time. Let's stop it. Because it is something that creates ill feelings amongst people. Think about it. Even if in your own house, if your siblings are talking like this, or your mother and your sister are talking like this, how do you feel? You feel horrible. So don't put anybody else in a situation where you don't want to be in. Let's avoid this. That sometimes it happens that one person knows a different language. So they will talk to whoever they want to share something privately with in that language that other people have no clue about what they're talking about. You know, sometimes it's unintentional. Alright? But sometimes it's done deliberately to hide something from others. Why do you need to hide? Because you're talking about something that the other doesn't want to hear that the other will not approve of. What do we forget at this time? That other people cannot hear, but who's watching? Who's listening? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who's recording every statement that we utter, every word that we whisper? The angels are recording everything. So we should be very careful, very mindful of this. La خَيْرَ فِي كَثِيرٍ مِّن نَجْوَاهُمْ Also if you think about it, in a class, in a classroom, when people are sitting down and they're whispering to each other, what are they typically whispering about? Hmm? If it's something that's good, then really I would like you to tell everybody about it. Isn't it? I'll bring the microphone, say it in the microphone, let everybody enjoy, let everybody know. But when is it that we don't speak out loud, when we whisper, when we know this is something that's not suitable to talk about over here? Right? So when it's not suitable, let's not do it. When it's not appropriate, let's leave it. Right? except for. This is the beauty of the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not generalize. There is an exception. Some najwa, some private conversations are actually good. Which ones? Illa except man who The one who orders charity. Meaning the one who in a private conversation with another individual, he tells him that you should give Charity. So for example, you're sitting with a group of friends. Okay? You're sitting with a group of friends. And somebody is talking about someone who's in a difficult situation. So you pull your one of your friends aside and you say, do you think we should help out over here? Right? And you discuss with her and you say, okay, you give this much money, I'll give this much money. Okay, you find this out, I'll find this out. So, amara bi sadaqatin. Why is it better to have such a conversation privately? Why? Because if there is a person who needs help and they are present in the gathering, and if people start talking that, you know, everybody, you know, please let's give money to this friend of ours. Uh, you know, she really needs clothes, let's buy clothes for her, everybody. It's going to be so embarrassing for them. Correct? It's embarrassing for that person. And also the one who is being advised to give charity, it can actually corrupt their intention. Right? Because when you are told in public, give this money or give such and such, then what will happen? You feel obligated to do it. Then you will not do it because you want Allah's pleasure. You will do it because you look so evil if you don't give. Isn't it? So just to preserve our good image before people, we will do it. So this is why when you want to tell someone to give charity, then how should you do it? In private. We learned earlier that in tubudu sadaqati fani'immahi. If you openly give sadaqa, how good is that? Wa in tuhfuha wa tu'tuha But if you hide it and then give it to the poor, that is much better for you. And also for them, right? Much better for your intention and much better for their dignity, for their self-respect. Aw ma'roofin, that the one who orders ma'roof. What is ma'roof? Something that is good. Right? Something that is good. So for example, if in a gathering, you feel that someone is not dressed appropriately, 
that let's say their clothes are see-through, for instance. And you want to tell them that please cover yourself from the back or the front or the side or whatever. So how should you say it? Sister. Sister. You, 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 you. Sister. Yeah, you. And now everybody's attention is drawn. And you say, Sister, please cover your back. It's showing. Sister, please cover your neck. It's too low. Is that appropriate? You can say, but I'm telling her something so good. Her aura is being revealed. Her body is being exposed. She doesn't look decent. I'm telling her something good. But is this the manner? Is this the way? No. What should you do? Go to her and say, Sister, please come with me. Come with me. Hey, come with me. And tell her, you know what? You're showing. Let's put your shawl like this. Because sometimes a person may not even realize. Right? They might not even realize. But if you point them out in public and you tell them like this in public, it will be so embarrassing for them. Ma'roof, when you order something that is good, how should you do it? In private. Likewise, you want to tell someone to study the Qur'an. So what should you do? In an open gathering, you're like, by the way, sister, you know, you mashallah, you're doing so much worldly education, you have this degree and that degree. Have you ever thought about learning the Qur'an? What will you do when you die? And Allah will ask you, is this how you should send them on a guilt trip? In front of everybody and embarrass them? No. If you really want to convince someone to learn the Qur'an, how should you do it? Discuss in private. Why? Because they don't feel embarrassed. Alright? And it's easier for them to accept what you're saying. أو معروفين. Thirdly, أو إصلاح بين الناس Or reconciliation between people. إصلاح صاد لام What does it mean? To fix. So إصلاح بين الناس Reconciliation between people. Meaning, Two or more people, they have arguments, they're not on good terms, and you want to fix their relationship. So how should you do it? In private. Because if, for example, two people who are not even talking to one another, you're sitting with them and you're telling her, by the way, you're wrong in this, and it is your fault that you did this. You should not have done this. And you should say sorry. And you should let go. What will happen? You won't be able to fix the problem. In fact, it's going to get much worse. What you need to do is... Private conversation, private counseling, one-on-one. Because then people can open up easily, they can express themselves easily, and it's easier for them to accept as well. It's easier for them to understand the problem. And whoever does that, what? Has a private conversation with another. Why? أَمَرَ بِصَدَقَةٍ أَوْ مَعْرُوفٍ أو إصلاح بين الناس. Whoever does that, ابتغاء مرضات الله, seeking the pleasure of Allah. فسوف نؤتيه أجرا عظيما. Then soon we shall give him a great reward. So what does this teach us? That all these three things are highly virtuous deeds. They're highly virtuous deeds. They're excellent deeds. Telling someone to give sadaqa in private. Telling them to do something good in private. Fixing bad relationships between people. How? In private. This is something that is excellent. وَمَن يُشَاقِقِ الرَّسُولَ And whoever opposes the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The word yushaqiq from sheen, qaf, qaf. Mushaqah is to split off and oppose. To split off. Because it's from shaq. And what does shaq mean? To break away. Okay. So, a person was with a group of people. He split off, meaning he broke away from them, he differed from them, and then he began opposing them. Does this happen? Does this happen? That a group of people are working on a project together, one of them has a disagreement and he's like, I can't work with you, so he leaves them. And when he leaves them, he doesn't just do nothing, no, he starts opposing them. He starts bad-mouthing them, he starts talking negatively about them. So this is what? Yushaqiq. So whoever turns hostile to the messenger, leaves him, disobeys him, and turns hostile towards him. When? Mimbardi after ma that tabayyana lahul huda. After guidance became clear to him. Meaning after the truth became very clear to him. He recognized Muhammad ﷺ as the messenger. He knew him to be the messenger. He understands the reality. The guidance, the truth is very manifest to him. And then, and he follows, from ittiba' tabarin, he follows غير, other than sabil, the way of al the believers. 
Meaning, he does not follow the way of the believers either. He opposes the messenger. And secondly, he contradicts the rest of the believers in his manner, in his practice, in his actions, in his worship. Two things are mentioned over here. Breaking away from the messenger, opposing him, and also contradicting the believers. So instead of following the messenger, what does he do? He makes a breach with him. He opposes him in what the messenger has brought of the truth after Islam has become clear. And he follows a course other than that of the believers. Meaning, he does not follow what they follow. He does not do what they do. He does not behave as they behave. He does not perform as they perform. So then what does he do? He invents his own ways. He invents his own methods, his own practices. He says things that have never been said about Islam. He says, he talks about the salah, the Quran, the messenger, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about the deen, in a way that it has never been mentioned. So he comes up with interpretations that have never been mentioned before by any sahabi, any tabari, any scholar, nothing such as that. Because if you think about it, what is Islam? Islam is Quran, the Sunnah, and the way of the believers. Correct? The Quran, what the Quran says, the Sunnah, what the Prophet ﷺ said, what he did, and the way of the believers, meaning how the Sahaba, those present at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, how they practiced the deen. Now if somebody says something about, let's say hijab, that no companion ever said, that the Qur'an doesn't say, then is this being in line with the messenger or is this opposing him? Is this being in line with the way of the believers or opposite to that? Opposite to that, right? But is this something that we see is very common today? Yeah? Everybody is coming up with their own interpretation of the Qur'an. They're saying things that have never been said before. وَيَتَّبِعْ غَيْرَ سَبِيلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And by the way, this is not something that's new. It happened even before. It happened even at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. There was a man by the name of Musaylama. Have you heard of him? Hmm? And he said, I am a messenger too. He said, revelation comes to me as well. And he fabricated some words, some statements, made up some funny things and said, this is revelation. He came up to Muhammad ﷺ and said, I'm also a messenger. You give me half of the Muslim empire and you keep the other half so we, you know, we're equal. And he was termed as Musaylama al-Kadhab. Musaylama the liar, the big liar. He broke away from the messenger. Okay? And he did not follow the way of the believers. He invented his own way. He said things which were unheard of which are not in line with the Qur'an, Sunnah, and the practice of the believers. Then, Allah says such a person, نُوَلِّهِ We turn him from wa lamia. We turn him towards what? مَا That which he undertook. The word tawalla, nuwalli, it has multiple meanings. Of the meanings is to undertake a responsibility or to undertake a task. To be in charge of. And wali, also from the same root. Who is wali? A patron, a guardian, a protector, the one who takes care of all the matters, the one who takes charge. Okay? So, nuwallihi ma tawalla. What does it mean? That we will give him what he has taken. We will let him take the path that he has chosen. We will let him go far and far into it. He has invented his own way. He thinks he is right and he will keep going on and on in his way. The more he opposes, the more misled he will be. When they deviated, Allah also caused their hearts to be deviated. And such a person, وَنُسْلِهِ جَهَنَّمُ We will let him go his way and eventually we will burn him in the fire. وَسَاءَتْ مَصِيرًا And what a terrible destination it is. What a terrible place it is as a destination. So what's the main lesson we learn in this verse? If we do not read the Qur'an and 
educate ourselves by reading verses like these, it's a very easy trap to fall into. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like when people die, you know, people want to have Quran honeys. And, you know, logically, you know, you think, okay, you're reading Quran. Yes. But there is no benefit for the deceased person. And so, you know, your mind, it's from shaitan. You're justifying it. We're just reading Quran for this person, but this is wrong because this is not the Prophet's practice. And so Allah gave us a criterion, which is a Quran, and a guide, which is the Rasulullah And so this leaves us no room for innovation. And a clear method, the clear way of the companions as well. Right, exactly. And so therefore this leaves no room for innovation in Islam, but you know, people, would, if they do not educate themselves by reading verses like such, then, you know, they begin justifying it. Well, we're just praying Quran. How could it be wrong? But this, in fact, is wrong. Exactly. Exactly. alaikum. I was thinking uh, the way of Sabil al-Mu'mineen and the Prophet sallallahu very easy way. If we do our own ways, it becomes really difficult and hard. Very true. So what's the main lesson we learn over here? You tell me. I've spoken enough. Yes. Stick to the Quran and Sunnah and the way of the believers. Sabil al Mu'mineen. What does it mean by the way of the believers? The way of the companions. Have you heard of the term? This is what the Salaf did. This is what the pious predecessors said. Yeah? So when you hear a statement like that, then take it. As long as it is in conformity with the Quran and Sunnah. Because the way of the believers is basically something that the ummah is united upon. Something that the ummah is united upon. The Prophet ﷺ said, Allah will never unite my ummah on misguidance. Allah will never unite my ummah on misguidance. Sometimes you will see that majority of the people may be doing something wrong, but still there will be scholars, there will be those of knowledge who will oppose them with clear evidences from the Qur'an and Sunnah. So, the ummah will never be united on misguidance. And the hand of Allah is above the jama'ah. Meaning Allah's special help is with the jama'ah. So, if we want to be successful, then what do we have to do? Follow the Qur'an and the sunnah and the way of the believers. In Allah, indeed Allah, la yaghfiru, He does not forgive. And yushraka bihi, that He is associated with. Allah will not forgive that any partners are ascribed to Him. وَيَغْفِرُ And He will forgive مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ What is less than that لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ For whomever He wants. For whomever He pleases. For the second time in this surah, this statement is being mentioned. What? That shirk is a crime, it is a sin that is unforgivable. Allah does not forgive the sin until and unless a person repents from it at the right time. Which means that if a person repents from it at the time of death, or after death, any time, not accepted. But before that, if he repents, then it is up to Allah to accept. However, other sins, other sins that are less than shirk, it's up to Allah, He can forgive them. But even for them, what has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said? وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ It is up to Allah, it is His will. Meaning, forgiveness for other sins is also not guaranteed. It is up to Allah to forgive. Then what about a sin such as shirk? How can a person believe that it will be forgiven? And based on this false belief, he goes on committing shirk. And what is shirk by the way? Because we have to know what it is, so that we can avoid it. There are two main categories of shirk. Major, and minor. What is major? To associate with Allah, anyone, anything, any being, whether animate or inanimate, living or non-living, righteous or evil, whatever. Associate with Allah, anything, anyone, in His exclusive rights. In His exclusive rights and characteristics. What are the exclusive rights of Allah? His rights only. What are they? Give me examples of that. That He is worshipped. That He is prayed to. That dua is made to Him. He is asked of. Other exclusive rights of Allah? Swear an oath by Allah. Okay. Other rights? Exclusive rights of Allah? Exclusive characteristics of Allah? What are they? His names and attributes. 
those that only befit him, those that are only his. Okay, what are other exclusive characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yes. That He is the Creator, He is the Owner, He is the Provider, He is the Sustainer, He is the one who responds to the supplications, He is the one who gives cure. Alright? So, exclusive rights and characteristics of Allah. So basically, it is to associate another with Allah in His being. So for example, you know that so-and-so is like Allah, na'udhu billah. Or so-and-so is also Allah, na'udhu billah. Okay? This is shirk in his that, in his sifat, in his attributes, in his uluhiyah, in his being ilah, the one deserving worship, in his ubudiyah, meaning the one deserving ibadah. So, major shirk. The second category is which one? Minor shirk. What is that? Riya. When a person does something good, and apparently he's doing it for the sake of Allah. But he wants that people should see it as well. And they should appreciate him for it. And they should praise him. And they should reward him. And they should applaud, right, when he does that good deed. So this is what riyah. Even that is a kind of shirk. But it is minor shirk. So Allah does not forgive shirk. He doesn't forgive this crime. Why? Because it is the greatest injustice. Isn't it? It is the greatest wrong. It is the greatest lie. It is the height of unfairness. So Allah does not forgive this sin. وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ Other sins less than that, He can forgive. But even that is conditional. It is up to Him. That forgiveness is not guaranteed. وَمَنْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ And whoever associates with Allah, فَقَدْ ضَلَّ ضَلَالًا بَعِيدًا Then certainly he has gone far astray in misguidance. ضَلَّ He has gone astray. What kind of misguidance? ضَلَال Misguidance that is buried far. Meaning far from the truth. Such a person is far from the truth. In this dunya he is far from guidance. إِيَّدْعُونَ They do not call upon from dua. Who? Those people who associate with Allah, they are not calling upon Mindunihi besides Him, illa except inatha, some females, some female beings, some female things. Inatha is the plural of unsa, hamza nunsa. And what does unsa mean? Female. So those people who do shirk, who worship idols, who worship the dead, who worship stones, who worship inanimate things who worship angels, then in reality, what are they calling upon? Some female names, some female things, some female beings. Because all of these things that I've mentioned over here, whether it is the idols or inanimate things or even the angels that the Mushrikeen of Arabia used to worship, what pronoun is used for them in the Arabic language? The female, feminine is used for them. So Allah says they're only calling upon some females. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describe all of their false gods as female? Because for the Arabs, the weakest of all beings was who? The woman. She was the weakest. Even compared to a young boy. An older woman, weak. And for Allah to say that these mushrikeen are only calling upon females, this is utter insult for their gods. This is insult for their gods. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls all of their false gods as female. Because He's indicating over here that this is how weak they are. You think a woman is weak? These idols are even weaker. You think a woman cannot help you, whereas she is much stronger, she is much more capable. But these idols, these inanimate things that are just sitting and unmoving, what can they do for you? You think a woman is a burden on you because you have to take care of her? These idols are more of a burden on you. Because you don't just have to make it, you have to look after it, you have to bring food to serve it, and then you have to deal with that food as well. And then you have to guard it, you have to protect it. You know, you have to keep slaves to look after them. So, They are so weak, they cannot even help you. So before the people, when they're doing shirk, in their minds is who? These things that they worship, these female beings. But behind the scenes, in reality, who are they worshipping? 
وَإِيَدْعُونَ And they are not calling upon إِلَّا except شَيْطَانًا مَرِيدًا Shaytan that is marid. Marid from the root letters, ميم را دال One that is rebellious. One that is خارج عن الطاعة. One who has come out of the bounds of obedience, doesn't obey. It's basically when one disobeys and goes far in that disobedience. So he becomes excessively proud, disobedient, rebellious, and persists in that manner. He persists in that way. This is what marid is. So this is the reality of shaitan. Is he obedient? Not at all. He's disobedient. And has he turned back to Allah? Not at all. He has gone far in that disobedience. He has persisted on it. So Allah says over here, that in reality these people, they're not really worshipping these female things that are before them. In reality they're worshipping who? Shaytan. Because what is worship? What is ibadah? What is worship? How would you describe worship? Worship means humility, submissiveness, obedience. Correct? When we say we worship Allah, what does that mean? What does that mean? That we submit to Him. That we make ourselves small before Him. That we obey Him. We listen to His orders. We don't do what He has forbidden us from. We are compliant. So this is what ibadah is. So when people do shirk, in reality, Allah says they are worshipping shaitan. Why? How? How are they worshipping shaitan? Is every mushrik a devil worshipper? They don't say they're worshipping the devil. But why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala call them devil worshippers? Why? Because who told these people to worship those idols? Who? Shaytan. Who told the people to prostrate to the sun? To the cow? To a camel? Who? The shaytan. Did the cow ever tell people, prostrate to me? Never. If it could do that, it would ask for nicer grass maybe. Huh? Did the sun ever tell people prostrate to me? Never. Did the mountains ever tell people prostrate to us? Never. Did a tree ever say that? No. Did a dead person ever say that? No. Who tells people prostrate to such and such, prostrate to this and that? Who? Shaitan. It is shaitan who tells them to worship them. And when he tells them, they obey him. When they obey him, when they're compliant, what does it mean? They're in fact worshiping him. Because no matter what he tells them, even if it's something that is ridiculous, that doesn't make sense, that goes against their own self-respect, they will do it. They're blind followers of shaitan. Think about it. If there's anything that somebody tells us to do, we always reflect. Am I going to become better or am I going to become worse? Is it going to improve me or is it going to humiliate me? Isn't it? For example, if somebody tells us, go greet that person. We think, but... If I go and greet them, this will make me smaller. So I'm not going to listen. Right? I'm not going to listen to this person. But shaitan tells people, put your head down before something that you made of stone yourself. And people go and do it. Blind followers, without even thinking. Without even thinking. So what is this? Worship. Isn't it? If somebody obeys another, okay, fulfills every instruction of theirs without question, then how do people describe them? He worships her. Hmm? She worships him. So likewise, people in reality, who are they worshipping? Shaitan. Shaitan. In the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, we learn that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I created my servants hunafa, Meaning, those who worship Allah alone. And the devils came to them and turned them away from their religion. And forbade for them what I made lawful for them. And commanded them to associate with me what I have not revealed any authority for. So shirk began with who? Shaitan. He told the people to worship others. Remember the story of the people of Nuh salam. Remember? They used to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then what happened? There were some really nice righteous people. When they passed away, shaitan came to them and said, You're going to forget them. So draw their images so that you don't forget them. So that you remember them. And the generations who come after, they remember these people. So they drew images. And from there, began what? Respecting those images. And then asking them for help. Alright? And those images transferred into statues. And this way, shirk began. 
And shaitan, the greatest trap that he calls people to, is what? Shirk. Because he knows that shirk is something that will nullify all of the good deeds of a person. A person may have given millions in charity. He may have forgiven people who have hurt him. He may have spent a very difficult life with patience. He may have very, very good character. But if he or she does shirk, he or she prostrates to someone other than Allah, then all of his good deeds, useless. We learn that such deeds will be turned into haba'am mansura, like dust that is dispersed. Dust that is dispersed. It will carry no value on the Day of Judgment. So shaitan knows that. This is the reason why he calls people to shirk. He tells people to worship other than Allah. And sometimes he also calls people to his own worship. There's a story of a monk known by the name of Barsisa. Someone who was very righteous, very pious. And there were these brothers who were traveling. They had a sister whom they could not take along. They had to leave her behind. So they asked him to please look after her. Initially he refused and then he said, fine, I will look after her. I will take care of her. So what happened? She was in a separate room. So he would go and bring food to her and leave the food outside and she would come and take it. No conversation, nothing at all. Shaitan said, come on, talk to her. Poor thing, she's alone. So there began a conversation. And then, come on, go inside, no harm. Like shaitan says, brother, sister, come on, he's your brother. Come on, she's your sister, it's okay. There's nothing, you know, bad. Right? This is how shaitan comes. And then eventually, he convinced that man to commit haram with her. And then eventually, she became pregnant, she gave birth. And then when the brothers were returning, he was afraid for his life. So what did he do? He killed her and the baby, buried both of them. And when the brothers came, said, Sorry, your sister passed away. So they accepted the word of the monk. And then shaitan came to those people, to the brothers. Your sister didn't die just like that, he killed her. So they went after him. And when the people, when everybody was coming after that monk, shaitan appeared to him and said, I put you in this difficulty. Do such that to me, I'll protect you, I'll save you, I'll take care of you. So Barsisa, that righteous, pious monk, what he did, he fell in prostration to Iblis. Immediately. Save me. But did he help him? No. Shaitan is the most deceitful. Abandon him. Abandon him, left him. So Shaitan, this is what he does. He calls people to shirk. Why? Because he knows that no matter how much good a person has done, it will become to nothing if a person does shirk. Then Shaitan is successful. He has managed to mislead that person. He has managed to make him a total failure. If he makes the person commit shirk. And he doesn't just call average people to shirk. He calls the believers to shirk as well. You know that? Look at the example of Barsisa. Was he not a pious servant of Allah? Was he not so righteous? But look at how he led him to shirk gradually, one step after the other. Even murder is something that can be forgiven. We learned about that earlier. But shirk, when a person gets to that, khalas. So this is what shaitan does. He convinces a person to leave something good. He belittles a sin before the person. So a person commits a minor sin. And when he commits a minor sin, then he can commit a major sin as well. When he commits a major sin, then he can commit shirk as well. Look at how gradually shaitan led Barsisa to shirk. So, إِنْ يَدْعُونَ مِنْ دُونِهِ إِلَّا إِنَاثًا وَإِنْ يَدْعُونَ إِلَّا شَيْطَانًا مَرِيدًا They only call upon shaitan that is rebellious. لَعَنَهُ اللَّهِ Allah has cursed him. Allah has cursed the shaitan. Meaning Allah has removed him far away from his mercy. When? When shaitan, Iblis, refused to prostrate to Adam. Remember the story of how this enmity began between Iblis and human beings, between shaitan and human beings, how this began, where did it begin from? When Allah commanded Iblis to prostrate to Adam, and Iblis refused. He refused to prostrate. So what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, قَالَ فَخْرُجْ مِنْهَا فَإِنَّكَ رَجِيمٌ Allah said to him, then go out of here, for indeed you are expelled. And indeed upon you is my curse until 
the day that the people will be resurrected. So, لَعَنَهُ Allah Allah has removed him far from his mercy. وَقَالَ And Iblis at that time, what did he say? He said, لَأَتَّخِذَنَّ Surely I will definitely take مِنْ عِبَادِكَ Of your servants نَصِيبًا مَفْرُوضًا A specific portion. Look at the word, لَأَتَّخِذَنَّ I will definitely take from your servants, plural of abd, نَصِيبًا مَفْرُوضًا مَفْرُوضًا from فَرَضَاد What does فَرْض mean? Obligatory. مَفْرُوضًا That which has been obligated. Okay? And fard literally means qatr, to cut. Okay? To cut off. So nasiba mafruda meaning an appointed portion, a good portion of your servants, I will take them. Take them where? To hellfire with him. Look at how arrogantly he spoke to Allah and he said, La attahidanna min ibadika nasiba mafruda. I will definitely take a good portion of them along with me to hellfire. How? By tempting them, by misleading them, by trapping them in various traps, by deceiving them. I will make them mine. This is what Iblis said to Allah. I will make them mine. This is what he meant. They will become my servants and they will go with me wherever I go. Allah created us for His worship. Allah put Adam salam in Jannah. That is the real home. But shaitan doesn't want that. Shaitan wants that people go along with him to hellfire. Why? Because of his great enmity, his great hatred for the human beings. And so much is his hatred that when a baby is born, how pure, how innocent that child is. Just born. And what does shaitan do? We learn in hadith, he goes and hits the baby. Hits the baby. So that the baby begins to cry. He strikes the baby. Imagine, this is how much he hates us. This is how much he's after us. He is our clear enemy. What does Allah say to us in the Quran? That, إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ فَاتَّخِذُوهُ عَدُوًا He is your enemy, so take him as an enemy. Don't feel sorry for him. Don't pity him. He doesn't pity you at all, even for a moment. He doesn't spare you. He wants to take every single one, where? With him, to the hellfire. وَقَالَ لَأَتَّخِذَنَّ مِنْ عِبَادِكَ نَصِيبًا مَفْرُوضًا I was just thinking of how, when you think about the act of shirk, it's actually such a humiliating act, because you're worshipping something that is a lot lower than what human beings are supposed to be in status. Yeah. And we worship things that are rocks or things that are wood or things that just status of a, a human being that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first created us as. It's not befitting of us to worship something that's below us. But on the other hand, as Muslims, we are supposed to worship the creator, the greatest, the most honorable being in the universe in existence. And so how just by worshiping him, we raise our own status as well. Very true. But what does shaitan want? That we become the lowest of the law. Assalamu alaikum. Many times when we think of shirk, we think of a physical thing like a picture or a rock or Everybody a statue, listen, please. right? For uh, for doing shirk, but many times we don't realize that many of us in North America who are practicing, many times we don't actually worship a physical thing, but we always sometimes say things, statements that we don't even realize that are very, very harmful. Or for example, if somebody was drowning and he got saved by a lifesaver, we we don't in the moment we don't realize we say, oh, you saved my life. You weren't there. I would have died. But we don't realize what we just said that it wasn't him that it was Allah. We could yes. thank that person, but in our mind we should be clear that it was Allah who sent Exactly. Us. That they are just the means, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who sent that help. He is the one who cured you, He is the one who saved you, He is the one who rescued you. Because if Allah did not want, that person would never have come to help you. That doctor would have never figured out how to save your life. Right? But what does shaitan want? That we forget Allah and we humiliate ourselves. And this is why shaitan uses various tools, various traps, various tricks to mislead us, to misguide us. And he doesn't just attack a person once, but he attacks him over and over again. Barsisa. Did shaitan just come to him once? He didn't leave him until he committed shirk. Likewise, shaitan doesn't leave people until their last breath. 
their last breath. Which is why when the angels come to take the soul of a person, shaitan also comes trying to mislead a person at that time. Why? Because he's afraid this person is slipping from my hands, he's going away. Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, when he was at his deathbed, this happened with him, that Iblis, shaitan, he came to him, trying to mislead him at that time. And Imam Ahmad said, La, la, not yet, not yet. Meaning, I'm still not saved yet. Yes. We were discussing, uh, she was telling us how to get rid of shaitan, you know, not to follow shaitan. And uh, we like, listen, like shaitan is so strong creature, he's so experienced, he's all the time after us. When we did our duas, we did a scar, we, you know, we hit him, then after that, you know, he, he doesn't d- give up. D- doesn't give up. He comes again after us. And from one of her, her lectures, uh, she mentioned, Shaitan, uh, like thief, always go there when there is a lot of treasure. Yes. So if we are going after, like, you know, following the Quran and so on, definitely he's going to come after us all the time. Of course. Very true. We learn in the Quran that Shaitan said, ثُمَّ لَآتِيَنَّهُمْ مِنْ بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ وَعَنْ أَيْمَانِهِمْ وَعَنْ شَمَائِلِهِمْ وَلَا تَجِدُ أَكْثَرَهُمْ شَاكِرِينَ He said, I will come to them from before them and from behind them on their right and on their left. And you will not find most of them grateful to you. Just imagine, somebody is trying to hit you, somebody is trying to attack you from all four sides. From your front, from behind, from your right, from your left. This is how vulnerable you are. This is how much under attack you are. What do you need then? Protection. What do you need then? To be shielded everywhere, to be protected all over. There's two things that he didn't mention, above and below. Because below you do sajda, you worship Allah, and above you ask Him for His help and His mercy. Assalamu alaikum. You know, in India there's a lot of uh, shirk, and I think sometimes that uh, the people, they live among the Hindus, and the Hindu religion, mainly it's about idol worship and temples, and you know, their festivals are so loud. And maybe we think, okay, now we have to compete with them and come up with something, so we have all these shrines. Mm-hmm. And I know certain families, they are so strong upon Tawheed. And the people, they have labeled them as Wahhabis or whatever. And, you know, they can't stand what they are doing. And majority think they are right. And I remember when I was young, one of one family, they were very much on Tawheed. And everybody sort of, you know, would look down upon them. And this old man, he was dying. And, you know, when you're dying, it's a very difficult time. And I don't know how much you're in your senses and what you're able to think for yourself. But I remember the people from the shrine who are so much into the shirk, they brought the stick of the dead saint or whoever he was. And they told this man that if you hold on to the stick, he will help you cross that bridge, the sirat. And in his dying moments, he held on to that stick and he said, okay, I'll seek the help of the saint. So we have to be so careful. And when I go back home every time, you know, it's very difficult to talk to them. They will label you as, it seems like you are wrong, you know. But sometimes, if you talk to young people, they say, you know what you say, it sounds more better than what we've been taught and what we've been raised upon. So we shouldn't give up. We should try to talk to the people there. Thank you. I was thinking that when we have an enemy... We don't want them to be happy. We want them to be upset. So do we take shaitan as our enemy? A little boy gave a reflection last week that when he was praying, he went into sajda and he was remembering that shaitan cries and that made him happy because shaitan is his enemy. Yes. So I was just thinking we really need to understand that he is our enemy. He doesn't want good for us. Yes. So we want to oppose him and do exactly what he doesn't like. Exactly. So if he eats with the left hand, we don't eat with the left hand. We eat with the right. We oppose shaitan. I was just thinking that, like, what kind of slave do you want to be? Do you want to be the slave of Allah, or do you want to be slave of something else? Because if we don't submit to Allah, then we're going to submit to something else, yes. like fashion, or like movies, or pop culture, music. So what are you worshipping? Yes. Very true. One of the scholars, Al-Mutarrif, he said that, I reflected and realized that the son of Adam is thrown between Allah and shaitan. So you're thrown between Allah and shaitan. If Allah saves you, He saves you. And if you don't take Allah's protection, you don't turn towards Him, then what will happen? Shaitan will come and take you. Make you a part of nasiba mafruda. So you have to turn to Allah. 
take his protection. Beg him for his mercy. Protect yourself so that shaitan cannot get the better of you. Go ahead. There was, in our old school, we used to have swimming competitions every year. So this one time there was this girl and she was hiding like a little doll in her hand. And I asked her like what it was and then she wasn't telling me in the beginning and then she told me that it was like her goddess for good luck. Like she was actually embarrassed. She's like, my mom gave it to me. And she was embarrassed to tell me that it was her goddess. So Yeah, it is something that we are embarrassed of. It doesn't make sense. But still shaitan makes us believe that it is good, it will work. So do it. But in reality, this is all deception. By the way, this nasiba mafruda, this appointed portion, how much is that? Do you know what the statistics are? How many people shaitan will take to hellfire with him of human race? In a hadith we learn, Allah will say, O Adam, on the day of judgment, and Adam will reply, I respond to your call, I am obedient to your commands, and all good is in your hands. Then Allah will say to Adam, send forth the people of the fire. Adam will say, how many are the people of the fire? Allah will respond, out of every 1,999. Only one of every 1,000 human beings will make it to Jannah. 999 will go to hell. This is the nasiba mafruda the portion of human beings that shaitan will end up making his own. Because they are deceived by shaitan. They fall in his trap. They submit before shaitan because they become weak before shaitan. They say, I am weak, shaitan is too strong. And this is what we do as well. We listen to shaitan, we become afraid of him and we give him all the power and then we excuse ourselves. Think about it. Iblis refused just one prostration, one sajda. And he turns us away from salah, making us leave one sajda after the other. Isn't that going to make shaitan happier and stronger? Isn't that going to give him more and more confidence? Every sajda we leave, every salah we leave, what are we doing? We're strengthening the shaitan. We're harming ourselves. Um, You know, earlier we were just talking about how some people just blindly follow and worship certain things. And, you know, I feel like Christianity to some extent is like that because one of their commandments is thou shalt not worship idols. And, you know, the idol they have, Jesus itself, is an idol. And I asked one of my friends who was a Christian, I'm like, I was very interested of how she would justify her answer. And I'm like, you know, um, one of the commandments says this and this, and isn't Jesus technically an idol? She said, technically it is. And that's all she said. And she pretty much stopped there. And I was sort of waiting for her justification of why it is what she does. And that's it. She just left it to that. And Even I if it's illogical, shaitan will make us believe, it's okay. This is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. And I was just wondering why she would follow it then if it's going it contradicts everything she would believe in because the thing is that the more you follow shaitan the more you obey him the more strong he becomes the more power he has over you the more shackled you are in his traps you can't get out then so even if something doesn't make sense you'll still do it 